Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. Good morning, Grace Church. Good morning, Grace Church. Am I on? Yeah. Am I on? Good morning. Hey, all right. You know, I don't know if you know what happened here yesterday, but about 1,200 people descended upon your campus from all over the place. People from Missouri and Kansas and Colorado and Louisiana, Arkansas, they all came here because there was a training for Celebrate Recovery on how they could take that back to their church and help people find the hope that they'd find. You know, I have to thank Pastor Robin and his team this morning because they did an amazing job. I don't know if you know what an asset you have in Robin and his team because they are some of the greatest servant leaders I've ever seen. Yeah. So thank you for having us yesterday. Now there's a test. Let's see if you were listening to Robin. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ who struggled with drugs and alcohol. My name's Mac. All right, you were listening. Very good. You passed the test. You know, there was a captain of a ship who was going through uncharted waters in the Caribbean, and he kept up on an island. And on that island, there was a little hut, and three little huts, actually, but one of the huts had smoke coming out of it. And he thought, wow, that's unusual. I didn't even think anybody lived out here. I better go check and see what's going on. So he got in another boat, and he went up to the island, and as he got there, a man came running out. And he said, I've been here alone so long, just waiting for somebody to come rescue me. And the captain said, alone? Well, there's three huts up there. He said, yeah, that one in the middle where the smoke is, that's where I live. And the one on the right is where I go to church. And the captain said, well, wow, that's great. But what about the one on the left? He said, oh, that one. That's where I used to go to church. <laughs> you know, many of us, come to that time in our lives, even when we're all alone and we can't admit that there may be a problem in my life. Even when we're all alone, we might not be able to admit that I might be the problem. Denial. Denial. It's the one thing that keeps us, many of us, from having that relationship with God that we all long for. And I know that having a relationship with God is something that all of us here this morning want because you wouldn't be sitting in here if you didn't. At the same time, sitting in church week after week could quite possibly be the safest place or the best place you could ever be to hide. Because, you know, if I come and show up week after week, Surely, I have everything together in my life, right? At least that's what people are going to think. But not so fast. Because if there's anyone in here who is anything like my family, like our family at all, we were sitting in church every Sunday, or pretty close to it, and our family was a mess. But nobody knew it because we were here every week. So surely the Owen family is a strong family. But we weren't. Oh, we put on our best Sunday face, looking good on the outside, while we were slowly dying on the inside. So it's my prayer this morning that if there's anyone in here like that, anything like our family was, if there's any unrest 
in your family, any struggle in your life or in your home, I pray that God would give you that moment of clarity where you can see things clearly and see what is holding you back from having the relationship that you want with God. The relationship that He wants with you. A moment where you can see that something, that that something that is holding you back from being all God wants you to be. Or that's something that's holding you back from being all that you want to be. Because whether it's a feeling of powerlessness over some struggle that you're having in your life, or a feeling of powerlessness about a child or a family member that is struggling and making bad decisions and bringing pain to your family, or that feeling of powerlessness When you hear the words from a doctor, we don't know what else to do. Whatever it may be, all of us come to that point in our lives where we can't hide behind the illusion of strength anymore. We have to step out of denial if we want any kind of peace in our lives. We finally come to that point in our lives where we say, you know what? I just can't do this anymore. I can't fix What's wrong? Because I believe everybody in this room needs recovery. And you might be thinking, now, hold on. That recovery word. I really don't need recovery. Okay, I'll give you a Bible word then, okay? How about sanctification? We could be called celebrate sanctification if you want. Because it's the same thing. It's getting closer to a Savior, the Savior, Jesus Christ, one moment at a time, one step at a time, one day at a time. I love it in Galatians 5 where we're instructed to do this. God says this, walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. You know, I just just love the fact that God says walk, don't you? Because a lot of us would, you know, we'd say, you know what, I got this thing. I got it. I can do it. And we're going to take off running. And I don't know about you, but every time I take off running, I stumble and mess up things. God said, for you, Mac, you just need to walk. Just take it easy. Walk in my spirit. Let the spirit take the lead. And there may be some of you in this morning that are saying, you know, I'm just not convinced about, you know, recovery. Because recovery is for those really messed up folks. Bless their little heart, right? <laughs> but I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad. Well, if you turn into your Bibles, if you have them here this morning, you can turn over to Genesis chapter 3. And if I turn in my Bible to Genesis chapter 3, that's it right there. That much right there. See that? That's where God said, here's how I want you to live. And in three short chapters, we messed that up. That's all it took was three chapters. The rest of this, that's the recovery part of the Bible. (laughs) As a matter of fact, if you look at the recovery part, we still weren't convinced. So two-thirds of that, all the way over here to Malachi, we said, you know, I think we can do this. We can fix it. And God said, that's not working out too good for you, is it? So then he said in the other one-third, the only way you're ever going to be able to make it is with my son, Jesus Christ. That's the only way you're going to make it. 
That's the only way you're going to be able to get to me. And by the way, you won't be able to do it alone. He said it's going to take community to do it. You're going to have to be accountable to each other if you ever expect to make it through this life. As a matter of fact, I look through the Bible and I don't see anybody who did a good job of living this life alone. Not one. I remember Joseph, he was alone for a while, but the whole time he was there, he was trying to get back to family, right? The whole time. God said, you're going to need each other to make it. And then Jesus shows up on the scene, and he has, starts with this little eight-point sermon that he says it's going to be the only way that you can live your life. If you want to live your life, here's the Beatitudes. It's a package deal. Model your life after these. And he starts with this. Unless you're broken, i got nothing for you. I'm like, hold it. You know, before we get into that, let's look at this. Does God really want me to succeed? Oh, you better believe it. I want to reassure you that he does. Because in Isaiah 57, 18, it says this. I have seen how they acted, but I will heal them. Even though the way he saw we acted, he said, I want to heal you. And then he says, I will lead them. I will help them. I will comfort those who mourn. I offer peace to all far and near. What a great promise from God. It's full of recovery. First, God says this. If you've been hurt, I want to heal you. If you're confused, I want to lead you. If you've ever felt helpless to change anything, I want to help you change that. If you've ever felt no one understands your problems, I want to comfort you. And if you feel anxious or worried or afraid, I want to give you peace. Wow, isn't that incredible? He says, I want to heal you, lead you, change you, comfort you, and give you peace. I don't know about you and what shape you were in when you got here, but when I got here, I was a mess, and I was looking for peace right here because there was a war going on inside of my head, and I couldn't do anything about it. God says, I want to give you peace starting right there, the kind of peace where you lay your head on a pillow at night and you can sleep knowing that you are a son or daughter of the king. The fact is, life is tough. We live in an imperfect world. And the Bible says this. It says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. Who does that include? That's everybody, right? It started off with that all-inclusive word that God loves to use. All have sinned. That leaves no one out. Not only have we sinned, we missed the mark because we fell short of God's glory. We'll never measure up in and of ourselves, Unless, that is, you are someone who has somehow lived that perfect life. <laughs> and I'll just go ahead and say it. You hadn't. I know you hadn't. You know you haven't. God knows you haven't. And you know what? When I think about that, I think about that. That's from the senior pastor on down. Now, I know Matt, and I like Matt, but he's in the same boat with the rest of us. And you say, hold on now. That's the senior pastor you're talking about now. <laughs> well, let me just back that up with Scripture then, okay? Philippians 1.6 says this, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in us We'll carry it on to completion, completion date, when Jesus Christ comes back. Now, 
I don't know about you, but I hadn't seen Jesus back here in the flesh yet. So all of us are a work in progress. Every one of us. You know, God said that. He gave us that completion date because of this. He knew that enough of us would say, you know what? I think I got a checklist right here, and I can start checking things off. And when I get down to the bottom, I will say, I have arrived. He said, nope. When Jesus comes back, that's when you'll be complete. So all of us are in the same boat. A work in progress. There's always going to be something we need to work on. So I have to ask myself, you know, what do I need to recover from? What do you need to recover from? Well, the good news is that it doesn't matter what you need to recover from because the steps are going to all be the same. And the first step in our recovery process is just to realize. Realize that I'm not God. I'm powerless to control my tendencies to do the wrong thing. And in some area or another, my life is unmanageable. Or as Jesus said, starting off his sermon in Matthew 3, what a great place to start, right? Blessed are the spiritually poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Unless you're broken, I got nothing for you. Nothing. Poor in spirit. Think about it. Do you ever stay up late when you really know you should be asleep? I tell all the guys that I work with, you know, God created the day, the light, to work, to do things, right? He created night to sleep. If you're staying up late at night, I don't know a whole lot of good things that happen real late at night. I really don't. Do you ever know the right thing to do, but you just don't do it? Do you ever eat more calories than your body needs to take in? Do you ever know something is wrong, but then you just go ahead and say, I'm going to do it anyway? Have you ever known you shouldn't be selfish, but then you just were selfish to the core? <laughs> Have you ever tried to control somebody or something, a situation, and then found it was totally uncontrollable? <laughs> Welcome. Welcome to the human race. You're one of us. You're part of this world. We all need recovery. Every one of us. So what's the big problem here? Well, I'll tell you what the problem is. It's me. I'm not the pro your problem. You're your problem. But for me, I'm my problem. You know, Teddy Roosevelt said this one time. If I could kick the person in the pants responsible for most of my trouble, I wouldn't sit down for a month. <laughs> you know, the Bible just calls it my sin nature. Our sin nature is what gets us in all kinds of problems, doesn't it? I do things that aren't good for me. I do them even when they're self-destructive. I don't do things that are good for me. I respond the wrong way when I'm hurt, and that just increases the hurt. I react the wrong way to people. I treat them in the wrong ways, and then when it backfires and I know it's not going to work out, then I try to fix the problem, and in fixing the problem, it usually gets worse than if I would have just left it alone in the first place. Well, Proverbs 14 tells me there was a way that seemed right to you, Mac, but in the end it just leads to destruction or death. It's all, I thought it was right, but it didn't turn out so good. Well, we're always going to have this sin nature, unfortunately, this desire to do the wrong thing. You're going to have it until you get to heaven. Even when you become a Christian, there's still going to be that desire that wants to pull you the wrong way. And I don't know about you, but I really think that stinks. Because when I became a Christian, I said, 
I'm through with that. I don't want to do that anymore. But then there was that desire that still wanted me to to pull me back to where I'd come from. And if you're thinking, wow, how does he know what I'm going through? Well, you're not alone again. The Apostle Paul wrote that down in the book of Romans. When he wrote Romans 7, he said this, 15 and following. I don't understand myself at all. For I really want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do the very thing that I hate. I know perfectly well that what I'm doing is wrong, but I can't help myself because it's the sin inside me that makes me do these evil things. I know I am rotten to the core, through and through. So far as my old sinful nature is concerned, no matter which way I turn, I can't make myself do right. I want to but I can't. Does that sound vaguely familiar to anybody in here besides me? I mean, I'm looking at it thinking, wow, he wrote a book about me, a whole chapter. I end up doing what I don't want to do and not doing the very things that I want to do. <laughs> and you might think, hold on, wait a minute, what? that's crazy talk, right? I mean, just reading that is like, what? How can this transformed Paul, man of God that he was, right, who wrote Romans 6 where he said he'd been set free from sin, and then he wrote Romans 8 where he said there's no condemnation in any of us who are in Christ Jesus. How could he write Romans 7? Well, you know, I've been studying through the book of Romans lately because I really, I identify with Romans 7, but I'm like, how could this be? Paul's one of the great men that we hold up and say, you know what? I want to live my life like he does, like he's following Jesus. But then he writes this, and I'm like, wait a minute. Well, I was reading from the theologian J.I. Packer and his commentary on this scripture, and it really spoke to me. I just want to share what he said about Paul in this scripture. He said, Paul wasn't struggling with sin because he was such a rank sinner when he wrote this. Paul was struggling because he was such a saint. Sin makes you numb. People who sin over and over again become desensitized to sin. The reason Paul's struggle was so intense was not because he was caught in a web of sin or because he thought of himself as hopelessly doomed into giving into temptations that he faced. Rather, it was because Paul lived such a sensitive life to the Holy Spirit and was passionate about the glory of God that he intensely felt sins whenever he became aware that he had committed sin because he was not sinlessly perfect. Now, here's the part that really caught my attention. Listen to this. In other words, you can see a black spider crawling up your shirt a lot better if you're wearing a white shirt than if you're wearing a black shirt. Huh. This is the type of people that God wants. This is the type of people that God uses in mighty ways. Not sinlessly perfect people, oh no. But people that see the black spider and will not stand for it to stay on their white shirt. People who have become sensitive to God's Holy Spirit that is living in us. Isn't that amazing that the Spirit of God, the creator of the cosmos, he says, I'm going to give that to you to live inside of you. 
we got to be sensitive to that. People who realize no matter how long I live, we're always going to be in recovery. There's always going to be something that I need to work on. I will not arrive as long as I'm on this earth. I will be a work in progress until that sky busts open. And by the way, the kind of people that God uses to become his leaders are broken people. God only uses broken people. I, I challenge you. Find one person who had everything all together, and God said, I'm going to make them a mighty leader. They're not in there. Not a one of them's in there. God uses people who surrender. People who say, Father, I, I, I'm broken. I'm a mess. Will you please fix me? I need to recover what I've lost. I need to recover what I gave up. Father, please help me. I give up. I surrender. I need you. You know, when I think about that, I think about all the people in the, the Bible that, that God used. And if you look at Hebrews chapter 11, that is the most craziest chapter. It's God's Hall of Fame. And people are in there like Samson. How did he get in there? He's the biggest relapser of all time. Oh, I'd love to tell you about the end of his life, though, when he turned his life back over to God. And his family came and got him and buried him in the tomb of his father because he had reconciled with God. And men like Abraham, who definitely had a struggle with lying, didn't he? He was in recovery for lying. Moses, who had anger problems. Every time he got angry, he hit something and broke it. Every time. Check it out. You know, David had purity issues, right? He's the kind of guy we wouldn't be allowed to be alone with his computers unless his accountability partners were sitting right next to him. And then there was Paul who was so distracted with religion that he decided killing God's people was okay. And then Peter had anger and abandonment issues, right? Mary Magdalene had so many demons they didn't even name them all. And then my personal favorite was Rahab. She was self-employed. <laughs> Where did we ever get the idea that when people come into our church, God's church, and they have problems, we say things like, you might want to keep that to yourself. We don't share things like that around here. Or if we tell ourselves, you know what, if I just don't tell people my problems, they'll think I have it all together. We don't think you have it all together. We know better because you're just like the rest of us, a work in progress. You know, God only uses broken people for his leaders. And then he takes and writes down all their mess-ups in black and white and gives us to, give it to us in the Bible. And it says, okay, that's my leaders. What do you got? You know, I love Rahab. She's my absolute favorite in the Bible. Because when I look at Rahab, I see that God puts a prostitute in the lineage of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was God, thank God I'm not, but if I was God, I would just say, you know what, let's leave her name out. We don't have to share all our dirty laundry, do we? That's not our father. He said, no, her name's going right in there. And a matter of fact, my son is going to be a direct descendant from her. And there's going to be people that look back and say, you know what? If God can use Rahab, he can use me too. Praise God that he didn't take those names out. You know, our church, God's church, has got to be a safe place. It's got to be. 
It's got to be a place where people can share their life struggles and realize that it's not just about drugs and alcohol. Most of us think about recovery and we think, oh, yep, that's for the drug addicts and alcoholics. Are you kidding? God didn't have very many drunks in his list of heroes, but there was people that had a whole lot of other problems, life problems, problems like we all have. I tell people all the time, drugs and alcohol was not my problem. Now, Mary, my, my, my wife, will disagree with that a little bit. She said, no, that was a problem. But drugs and alcohol were my solution. When I took the solution out of the way, then I had to start dealing with the life problems that everybody was dealing with. Recovery is about so much more than that. Recovery is about God wanting to give us peace from any hurt, hang-up, or habit that you've developed. And you know, I love the video earlier this morning where the, our, our sister talked about, and the last time I checked, everybody's got one of those. Because that's true. All of us have some hurt, habit, or hang-up. You can't have gotten through this life unscathed. Well, I want you to hear for just a minute from my best friend this morning, a woman who has agreed to be my roommate in heaven. And we've been married for the last 40 years. I want you to hear from Mary what brought her into recovery. Hello, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ who struggles with codependency. My name is Mary. Hello, my forever family. Not everybody that is in Celebrate Recovery has an alcohol or drug addiction, but everybody has been hurt, hurt themselves or hurt somebody else. My story is one of secrets filled with hurt I kept to myself for many years. My mother had a mental illness that kept her debilitated for much of my life. Mac and I placed our baby up for adoption before we were married, and Mac had a struggle with a drug addiction for many years. Satan tried his best to tear every good thing apart in my life, but God won. <clears throat> my mother experienced healing from her mental illness for the latter part of her life. We were reunited with our son when he was 19, and Mac yielded to God in 1988 and has been victorious over drug addiction for 28 years now. The question isn't whether bad things will come your way, nor is it when will they arrive. The question is this, what am I going to do when the bad times show up banging on my door? Growing up the middle child, I learned to be a people pleaser and a peacemaker. I wanted everybody to like me. When we were married, I took it up a notch and wore myself out keeping secrets and trying to uphold the perfect little family look. I made excuses for Mac's behavior for the times he didn't show up for church or our girls' events. I kept a happy smile on my face just to look like that perfect little family, and I had no boundaries. I thought if I did enough good things and didn't displease anyone, then I was a good Christian. At times, I was exhausted from the turmoil going on in my life, but I sure wasn't going to tell anyone. All along, I thought it was my job to make sure that Max stayed straight not realizing he needed to make his own choices and suffer the consequences. That was confusing to me at times because I thought being a Christian meant saving others from themselves. I didn't realize I had control issues. Back then, I felt guilty about others' feelings. I worried about how they might respond to my opinions and feared being rejected. 
Now I get my self-worth from Christ. When Mac and I first met, I never imagined in my wildest dreams that I would spend the rest of my life with him. We've been through many fun adventures coming up on 40 years this year. But the most exciting adventure of all was when Mac said, I'm giving my life to Christ. I can't do this life in, on my own anymore. I actually thought our adventures were going to slow down and we would live a nice, calm little family life. But God had a much bigger plan for us than just taking care of ourselves. We saw him start to weave together a plan of helping others find the hope that we had found. That's a happy tears now. John and Cheryl Baker, the founders of Celebrate Recovery, were healing in their own recovery at the same time we were. And God was working in both of our families' lives for the next 16 years before he would bring our paths together. He had planted a seed in all of our hearts to help others find healing through recovery. And God has been growing it one step at a time, one day at a time, one person at a time. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is his Spirit. That's in 2 Corinthians three seventeen and 18. Before Mac turned his life over to God, I didn't know whether God would answer any of my prayers. I've learned sometimes he says yes, sometimes no sometimes later, and sometimes greater. I just had to give all my concerns to him and trust him. Does your heart ache? Do you have a dark cloud over your head? Well, know this. God knows, and God has a plan. Psalms 34, 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. If I could encourage you in your journey today, know this. God will not waste your hurts and he's going to wipe away every tear when Jesus returns. In Celebrate Recovery, we get to live out the principles that God laid out in the Beatitudes, giving hope to all who have hurts, hang-ups, and habits, which last time I looked was everybody I see. First and foremost, starting with me. Thank you for letting me share. Thanks, Mary. Thank you. You know, like most of us, Mary came to that point in her life, and when we come to that point in our lives when things are really a mess, and we ask ourselves, why? Why is this happening in my life? I'm not that bad. Why am I going through this? Why can't I just get it right? Why can't I do things right? What's the cause of all the problems that I'm having in this life? Well, the answer is actually pretty easy. The cause to all our problems is that I want to be God. I want to be God. It's that simple. You say things like, you know what, I don't want anybody telling me what's right and wrong. I want to decide what's right and what's wrong for myself. I want to call my own shots. I want to make my own rules. I want to be my own boss. I want to live my own way. If it feels good, you better believe I'm going to do it. I don't want anybody telling me what to do with my life. That's playing God, folks. That's wanting to be God. I want to be in control. And that is a man's oldest problem, right? 
Because from the very beginning of time, God put Adam and Eve in the garden, and he said, I got one rule for you, don't eat off the tree. Well, that didn't last long, right? We just saw it was three chapters, and they messed that up. I like to think that I could have made it to chapter 4, but I probably would have fell out of chapter 2. I don't know. Satan came along and said, you know what? If you do what God said, don't do. If you eat off that tree, you'll be just like him. You'll be God. And they said, what? All right. Give me some fruit, right? And they went and took a bite of the fruit. And that's when everything changed. So the problem has been there since the very beginning. We as humans want to be God. We think we know better than God, so why can't I be the one in control. And so why is it that we want to do that? Well, you know, we want to control things. We want to control our image first, you know. You want to control what people think about you because if they really know the real you, will they still even care about you? So if I wear just the right mask wherever I go, people will never really know who I truly am. And I don't know why we're so afraid of admitting that we got problems. We've already established the fact that nobody in here, nobody on this planet has arrived. Nobody. But we want to keep that to ourselves. If I just don't say anything, they'll think I got it all together. We don't, again, think that. So why would we do that? Secondly, we try to control other people, right? Parents try to control their kids. Kids try to control their parents. Wives try to control their husbands. Husbands try to control their wives. We want to control other people. And we use all kinds of tools, right? We've got a pretty good arsenal of these things. We use things like guilt or fear or praise or the silent treatment or anger or rage. We try to control people because it seems to be in our very DNA. I want you to do what I say. Or thirdly, we try to control or manage our problems. Oh, I love this one. I love it when somebody says, I'm going to anger management. And I believe that there are good things you could learn in an anger management class. I'm just going to say for me, every time I tried to manage my sin problems, they always got worse. God says you have to surrender those, not manage them. Because when I try to manage them, I say things like, I could handle that. It's really not that big of a problem. Oh, here's my favorites. Here's the ones that get me in trouble all the time. I'm not that bad. It's not that bad. As soon as I say that, I better know that it's something I better not be doing. It's not that bad. Are you kidding? I'll work this out on my own. The more we try to fix our problems, the worse they get. And the fourth way we try to play God is we try to control the pain. We do this by, first of all, well, let's just avoid the pain or deny it or escape from it or reduce it or postpone it. And we do this with all kinds of things, right? You know, we, we all know that people try to, I just told you that I use drugs and alcohol to try to mask my pain. But we do it with other things, too. We take pills because the doctor prescribed them. And if he prescribed them, it surely is all right if we take as many as we want. Huh, are you kidding? Or we get in and out of relationships. And there's so many ways we just try to medicate ourselves or control the pain. But pain always comes. In those quietest of moments, when we realize 
that we're not God. And we can't control what's going on around us. And that becomes a pretty scary place to be. There's that loss of perceived control. Because we never had control in the first place. We just thought we did. Or we just wanted to have control. But that, my friends, my family, is the first step. That's the first step to recovery when we realize that loss of control. And we realize that in and of ourselves, we are powerless to do anything about it. You're not going to get well on your own. Face it. Don't deny it. You know, one of my greatest mentors, and if you uh, don't have a mentor, get one. Every one of us in, need, in here needs someone to set the pace for us. One of my greatest mentors went home two weeks ago to be with the Lord. He was a man that saw something in me that was worthwhile instead of worthless. He was a man who filled my head so full of Bible that sometimes I just felt like I was going to explode. Man, he just kept putting more in there. But he knew that that empty space in there needed to be filled with good things. He was a man who early in my recovery I could go to with any problem. He would sit and he would listen to me and then he would help me work it out in a godly way. We know he said something once that really floored me. I was standing next to him and somebody came up to him and said, what's the biggest change in this church in the last, oh, 20 years or so? And without missing a beat, he said, that's easy. When the drug addicts got here, they taught the rest of us how to be honest. And as he was saying this, I don't want you to think that he was saying that the drug addicts thought they, that he said they had it all together. Quite the contrary. What he was saying was that when a bunch of people showed up here and had nothing to gain by keeping secrets, by hiding things, that they knew that they were powerless to change on their own lives, and then they started admitting their problems and their struggles, and they were confessing their sins, just like it says in James 5.16, that became their first step on their road to freedom. And they showed the rest of us that freedom was possible for us too. We didn't have to live in that prison anymore that was in our minds. And I added to that, fortunately for us, the ones that came, God had been preparing this church for many years, preparing them in advance to do good works and we found the most loving family that God could have ever had placed us in. You know, our church back in Louisiana truly became a hospital for the sin sick, a place where people could go and heal and become whole and no longer hide their struggles, and they were introduced to the one true help, the only help, Jesus Christ. Because there is a cure, and it's not me, and it's not you. The cure has a name, and its name is... His name is Jesus Christ. You know, the first steps to the road of recovery is admitting that I'm powerless. I can't do this on my own. And then coming to believe that Jesus Christ is the one to help me recover. To become whole, he's the one that completes my life, not me. So what does that mean? It means being honest. It means taking a real look at who I truly am. When nobody else is around, in the dark of night, who am I? Am I really living like God's son or daughter? 
It means joining God's family on this road to freedom and this road to recovery and stepping out of denial because delay is the deadliest form of denial. And you might be thinking, yeah, but. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I've gone through. Trust me. There is not a problem that you're going through that hasn't been dealt with right here at this church at Celebrate Recovery on Thursday night. If you're going through something and you think nobody else has ever gone through this, please come see Pastor Robin or some of his team after, one, after this is over today, and they will not only take you to someone that is going through the same thing you're going through, they will show you someone who has been victorious over that and let you know that you can be victorious over that too. And then they're going to point you to a family on Thursday nights at Celebrate Recovery that deal with the hard issues of life and come out victorious. It's a place for people to come share their struggles. But more importantly to that, it's a place where I go where I can hear about people's victories. Victories that God has given them in this life. So here's the point. The longer you postpone your pain, the further recovery gets away. The longer you deny it, the longer you postpone it, the longer you say it's no big problem, it's not a big issue, I can deal with it, I can handle it, the fewer days you have on this earth to be who God created you to be. He created you to be victorious. I'll leave you with this. James 4, 6 says this. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You know what that says? It says, as long as you think you can do this on your own, not only will I not help you, I will oppose you. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be on the end of being in opposition with God. On the other hand, I love Colossians chapter 1. Where it says, I rescued you from the dominion of darkness and brought you into the kingdom of the Son I love. And you know what he goes on to say in that chapter? He said, and now, you used to be enemies of mine, but now you are holy in my sight. I don't know about you. In my past life, I was called a lot of things, but holy wasn't one of them. But the creator of the cosmos now says, because of what Jesus Christ, my son, did for you, Mac, you are holy. That's how I see you. And I'm like, did you miss that yesterday when I did? He said, I didn't miss anything. I'm seeing you through the blood of my son. And he says, as a matter of fact, not only are you holy, you are free from accusation and you are without blemish. And then the end of that chapter says, and all of us who are in him have been presented perfect to the father. So now when my father looks at me, he says, that's my perfect son, Mac. And if you've surrendered to him, that's how he sees you, too. You know, when God says, I oppose the proud, he also says, when you surrender, there's not enough bad you could have done 
that will ever keep me from showering my grace on you and making you as white as snow. He's ready to shower that grace on you. When you finally get to that sweet spot in your life and you're able to say those words, I surrender. I give up. I surrender. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for loving us when we were unlovable. Thank you for seeing in me something that was salvageable, even when I made a complete mess of things. Father, thank you for not giving up on me. I surrender, Father, in Jesus' name. For more information about grace, visit our website at grace360.org.